At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 273rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. On today's podcast, we have someone who is working with the busiest workers in the food revolution. We're talking to Hillary Kearney about her Girl Next Door Honey Project. Hillary owns and operates Girl Next Door Honey and is a full-time beekeeper in her hometown of San Diego, California, where she provides educational opportunities for hundreds of new beekeepers each year. She is the author of the blog, Beekeeping Like a Girl, and maintains a popular Instagram account with over 42,000 followers around the world who are inspired by her beekeeping exploits and unique business model. When she's not rescuing beehives, teaching classes, photographing bees, or managing one of her 60 colonies, she's sleeping and dreaming of bees. Welcome to the show today, Hillary. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, it really started with a bucket list that my boyfriend had, now fiance at -hmm. the time, on his wall. And one of the things on there was all this crazy stuff, like ride my bike across the country, said he wanted to get goats, and then beekeeping was on there. For whatever reason, I just grabbed on to that beekeeping part. And Uh for his birthday that year, I bought him a book, a beekeeping book. And then I read it just to make sure that it was good. And I basically uh, just fell in love with bees. I just thought they were so interesting. I started researching them like crazy. And then I got to the point where I just needed to get bees to find out more. Mm -hmm. So I moved back home to San Diego. And my dad, I was living with my dad at the time. He has a really big backyard. And he he does some like woodworking stuff. So he hooked it up and made a hive for me. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then I just put an ad on Craigslist that said, if you have bees, I'll come and get them. (laughs) Oh, wow. Did that work? Yeah, I immediately got a call from someone, I think that same day. And so I went out and caught a swarm and Mm -hmm. started doing it. And then everyone found out that I was doing it and they thought it was cool. And people started asking me to do things. You know, can you teach a class? Can you visit my school? Can you, you know, yada, yada, yada. Can you remove these bees? You Uh know, so people started coming to me and it just... It got crazy. I, I was working a 40-hour-a-week office job, and I was doing, like, swarm catches and interviews with the news on my lunch break. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
And so then about three years ago, I finally left the office job and started doing it full time. Mm -hmm. And it's been great. Wow. All right. So on your website, Girl Next Door Honey, I would really encourage everybody out there to go to girlnextdoorhoney.com and watch this amazing four and a half minute video with Hillary. She's, she, you just knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. And my, my question for you is, I would have guessed that after watching this video that you had been keeping bees since you were two. So I want to know how long it's been. When did you buy that book for your boyfriend and realize, oh, that's not for him. This book's for me. <laughs> I bought him the book in 2008, uh -huh. and so that's really when I started researching. I didn't actually get bees until 2010, early 2010, like, mm -hmm. I want to say like February. Wow. And so in watching this video, you have this amazing palette of different things that you, that you do. Tell us about all of the different things that you do and how you share this. So a lot of it is around education. So mm -hmm. I do classes for new beekeepers, and I also do tours for the public. So I realize there's all these people who want to be beekeepers and they want to learn, but then there's all these other people who just want to have this cool experience. Mm -hmm. So I put them in a bee suit and I take them to my hives <laughs> and we get to actually look at bees and learn all about how honey is made and all the cool stuff about bees. And then I do classroom presentations. So I actually go to schools and I bring bees with me and we play games. And I, I created a game as part of this program that I sell on my website now. It's called The Story of Bees. And the kids get to pretend to be a swarm of bees and uh, run around and buzz and you know make noise. So we, I do that. And then I also do just a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting with new beekeepers. Wow. I do bee removals. And oh, and I do a hosting program where I place hives in people's backyards. Oh, yeah manage them for them. So, wow. Well, I'll take a hive. Will you bring one over to me in Phoenix? <laughs> it's a little far for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you, I found you somewhere. I found you a couple of months ago and it was like, wow, we've got to, we've got to have this young lady on our show. And young lady, when I say young lady, I would have guessed from the organization of your business, you do, like I said, you'd have been doing this for 20 or 30 years. You've been at it for eight years and you're a young millennial-ish and I get really excited when, you know, our, our young people are diving into this food conversation. What was the impetus for you to, you know, really get involved in the food conversation? Actually, I think that started when I was in college because I got a job at a natural food store, like a local small natural food store in Santa Cruz, California, where I went to school. And it just changed the way that I saw our food, I, you know, where it comes from. It just brought a lot of awareness to all those issues. I had a vegetable garden when I was in high school that I was really into. My dad and I did a little vegetable garden. And so that kind of, I guess that's where it really started. But then I didn't really, I didn't understand all the issues until I started working in the grocery store. And then that really connected me. Got it. Wow. And then you just took, took the ball and ran with it. Yeah. And then, you know, then it was kind of something that I'm like interested in, passionate about, and bees are obviously a part of that. And so I think that's, you know, they're all pieces coming together. Yeah. I love that. Love, love, love that. So in your video, uh, you talk about finding real honey and eating real honey. What are you talking about? Isn't the honey that I buy at the grocery store real? 
Yes and no. So the deal with the honey in the grocery store is it's been just tampered with so much that I wouldn't even call it honey anymore. So mm. a lot of it has been heated up. A lot of the big honey companies will heat their honey so that it, it packages more easily because the honey flows a lot quicker through machinery and that kind of thing if it's thin and warm. Right. But then they're also heating it up to slow the crystallization process. So when your honey gets all, you know, hard in the jar like that, a lot of consumers don't like that. So when you when you kind of cook it, it takes longer mm-hmm. for it to crystallize. So it's kind of silly though, because when you let the honey crystallize naturally, a lot of times it comes out really creamy and nice. I know. And so the longer it takes to crystallize, the, when it finally does crystallize, it's very unpleasant, like a rock, which is what you're used to seeing, you know, from the honey you buy in the store. So you kind of associate these negative, you know, this negative texture you don't like with right. crystallization. But if you were to just let the honey do it naturally, it's actually really buttery and kind of yeah. cool. You spread it yeah. like a jam. Yeah, I, I actually like crystallized honey. Um, I do too. Yeah, a lot. So let's talk urban beekeeping, and I want to know how popular it's become. Well, I can tell you that my classes are pretty much always full, and I do them monthly. And I constantly get messages from people all around the world who want to start beekeeping or just started beekeeping. Mm -hmm. The queen breeder that I'm connected with in San Diego area has told me that their business has definitely changed in the past 10 years from almost exclusively, you know, commercial beekeepers ordering huge numbers of queens to a lot of ones and two orders, you know, for smaller hobbyist beekeepers. Right. Wow. So if I wanted to put a hive in my backyard, tell me about that process. Obviously, if there's somebody like you around, I could call you and you would do it for me. But if, you know, I'm a, I'm a new beekeeper just thinking about doing it, and I want to put one in the backyard here at the urban farm. What What's the process look like, and what do I need to consider? Yeah, so there's a lot of research involved. It really takes like two years to understand what you're doing as a beekeeper, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, you know, making a mistake in beekeeping is not as forgiving as, you know, letting mm. your tomato plant die. Right. <laughs> so it's a little bit more um, intense. A lot of people get frustrated. You want to try and take a class if you can, you know, read lots of books. I do have an online class. So even if you're not local to San Diego, there's an online version of my intro class. And that really will tell you everything you need to know to get started. So like thinking about is this really a good space? Is my backyard, you know, where in my backyard can I put it? How much room do I need? What kind of equipment do I need to buy? It's also really expensive too. So you have to have a budget for it. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people get into it and they're like, oh, I'm going to save money on honey. And that's just not the case. It's some real expensive honey. It's a project. Yeah. It's a project. Well, that's, I guess that's the way we're going to find our own real honey though too is that we're going to either grow it ourselves or we're going to get it from one of our farmer bee farmer friends right yeah you really have to just know a beekeeper at this point because mm-hmm. that honey in the store you know i didn't even say this but it's also sometimes cut with like corn syrup and yeah. they strain all the pollen out too so it's really not honey anymore yeah well i, I actually have a, a bee farmer here in phoenix his name is Verl. And he's, you know, getting up there in age. But, you know, a couple times a year, I'll go get a gallon of honey from, right from him. And often I pull it out of the bee, out of the honey container while I'm, you know, while we're standing there. It's pretty cool. 
Out of the comb? What he does is he extracts it out of the comb, and then he has it in a in a large stainless steel container with a tap on the bottom of it. Oh, so you get to pour your own. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So beekeeping tips for new beekeepers. We, you know, we've already established that it's, uh, you know, a bit pricey to do this. What's our first three steps if we're going to get into beekeeping? I guess establish, you know, whether you have a good space for it. Mm -hmm. Do a little research. Find out the laws, the local laws in your area, if you're even allowed to. You might want to get tested to find out if you're allergic to bee stings or not. Ah. I've had some people, you know, spend all this money and time investing into it, and then they find out they're allergic and they have to give it up. And then deciding, you know, what kind of hive you want to get is probably the next thing. There's there's a couple of different designs, and they're all pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of whatever grabs you, I would say, go for it. There's nothing really – there's a lot of pros and cons to each one. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get your bees. So that happens in the springtime. A lot of people decide, you know – at the end of summer, they want to get bees. So I wouldn't recommend starting your colony at that point. You right. probably want to wait until spring. So if you decided right now, listening to this, that you want to be a beekeeper, that's fine. You can start researching and gathering yeah. your equipment. And, you know, it takes take a while a to get all this stuff together. Yeah, take a class. Yep. And then, you know, around January, that's when you have to reserve your bees. So you have to find someone selling bees. And a lot of, they're selling out right now just because – You know, a lot of people are having a hard time keeping their bees alive and all the new beekeepers. There's just a huge demand. So Mm -hmm. you got to find a source and lock it in. So one of the things that you told me that you did to get your first batch of bees was you put a a note on Craigslist. So did that include a queen bee? You know, actually, I'm not... (laughs) That first colony that I caught, I either didn't get the queen or she died after I caught her. Mm-hmm. So you, when you catch wild bees, you, you never know what you're going to get. Right. So in your area and in my area, we also have Africanized right. bees. And so when you catch wild bees, like they can turn out to be super defensive. And if you're a new beekeeper, you might not know how to handle that situation. Right. I started out that way and obviously I've had success, but I think there are definitely people who wouldn't be able to handle it and it would be really overwhelming to them. Yeah. I was just really lucky. And I'm also like, I, I don't know why I did well with that, but <laughs> <laughs> because you're really lucky. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you just have to be careful when you get wild bees. Cause you don't know what you're getting. You don't right. know if they're going to be aggressive. You don't know if they're going to be sick or if they have a queen or, or what, right. but they are, you know, in my case they were free. And at this point I charge people to take them away. So yeah. Wow. So when one's getting a hive set up, do you order the bees and the queen or do you just order a queen? You have to order the bees and a queen. So Mm. the queen can't survive on her own and she's not going to lure bees to her or anything like that. They're Mm. like a family and they're, they're a super organism. So no single bee can live by itself. So you need this like mass of worker bees. Mm -hmm. Usually you get like three or four pounds of bees and then there's one queen in there. Got it. And so queen bees can live for a long time. Yeah. So they can live like two to seven years. Wow. And I was having this thought as you were sharing a little while ago. If you need to replace the queen, do the worker bees take her on as family? I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. So yes, they will, but it's a little bit tricky. So you have to kind of 
coax them into accepting her. So uh -huh. if you were to just take a foreign queen and throw it in a colony, like just loose, they would, they would kill her. Mm. But if you, so usually what you do is she's in a cage and you, you put her in, in the cage and they, they can smell her through the screen and they, they can feed her and kind of interact with her, but they can't kill her. So you leave her in the cage for a little while and then you release her. And then by then they, they've kind of accepted her. Uh, right. Wow. And, there's also the possibility of of the hive making a new queen before you, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So if they lose a queen, they usually will make a new queen. Mm -hmm. But they have to have an egg from a queen in order to make a new queen. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a catch-22. Wow. So that sounds like a, quite a process to get really a hive established. Yeah. The bees do a lot of the work for you. Mm -hmm. And then your job is just not to mess anything up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So what can you tell us about the newer generation of beekeepers? I think it's really exciting. I have a couple, you know, there aren't that many of us, but there are, I know, you know, a handful of really cool people. I'm really excited about what they're doing. And I think that there's this kind of consensus amongst at least the people that I know, where we're kind of looking at this generation of beekeepers before us and seeing a lot of problems with what's going on. So I think there's this kind of attitude of wanting to make something new and want to make something more sustainable and mm -hmm. kind of change, change the way we do things a little bit. So it's really interesting because everyone has this concept of what a beekeeper does and how they make money and it's pretty like set. And then when you are confronted with someone like me, it's just like, well, what? You know? <laughs> right, well, exactly. Make sense of it. <laughs> so let's kind of transition a little bit to bees and uh, they have stingers. How do we get past the fear of those? I think just learning more about them helps people get over their fear. So mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people who follow me on Instagram reach out to me and say, you know, I, I was afraid of bees and then I started following you on Instagram and now I just have so much respect for them. I think they're so cool. I'm really not afraid of them anymore. You know, people say like, I used to kill the bees that I found in my house and now I catch them and release them outside. So I think when you feel connected to them through learning, that's mm -hmm. when you can change your mm -hmm. fear over. So just because they can sting doesn't mean they are going to sting. Right. I tell uh, kids, I'll say like, well, does your cat have claws? They're like, yeah. Is, is your cat going to always scratch you oh. just because it has claws? No. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like a bee stinger is retractable, just like cat claws. They're not flying around trying to sting everyone. It's just only if they feel threatened or if you annoy them. Right. Yeah, kind of like our cats. Exactly. <laughs> so you do a lot of uh, bee removals and rescues. What are some of the weirdest places you've found bees? Ooh, okay. So I, I got a call for some bees in a jet ski. That was pretty fun. Oh, interesting. <laughs> they were inside like the engine cavity uh -huh. uh, and we couldn't really take it apart. So there were only like a few panels we could pull off. So I really had to like reach my arm back in there and just oh my gosh. grasp at them to try and get them out. I did get the queen in that situation. That was pretty awesome. I also had bees inside of an elephant statue. There was a little garden art statue and it was just full of bees. Wow. So we had to saw it open and get them out of it. It was really, the pictures look really surreal, like a, like a dolly painting or something. Wow. And then most recently I had I got to remove some bees from the San Diego Zoo right in the middle of their koala exhibit. 
on a Saturday with everybody watching. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> How cool. Before we travel on, I want to go to this video. And I'm actually a fan of pinup art from the 20s and 30s. And there's a piece of art on this video that is it's just beautiful. And when I asked you about it earlier, you said to me what? Yeah, that's I painted it. Wow. You're, you're actually a great beekeeper and a nice artist. This is a, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a fun piece of art. It's a fun piece of art. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Um, okay, so going back to that first swarm that I caught, when I brought it home, I put it in uh, what's called a topper hive, mm -hmm. and I was so excited. I would just lay on the ground and just watch the bees fly in and out for hours. I would peek in and see what they were doing. I was like constantly monitoring it, but I didn't really understand what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never actually like looked in the combs to see what was in there. I didn't really understand what I was seeing. So what ended up happening is that they didn't have a queen, and mm -hmm. they ended up you know, slowly declining until they just collapse. So because I kind of made the assumption that because they were flying in and out and they were building comb, that everything was good, that they had a queen because I didn't make the effort to like learn what I was looking at in the comb. So I, once they started declining, then I, I realized something wasn't right and I yeah. started researching more and that's when I realized the signs that they didn't have a queen. So that was, that was my first failure. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned how to recognize that there's a queen and I learned that that's something you should do every time you go into your hive because at uh, any point you could lose your queen and you have to fix it quickly. Otherwise, it's too late and you can't really do right. anything about it. So uh, beekeeping, I would say the entire experience has just been a series of failures and then learning from those failures. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a I didn't have a mentor or anything, so I'm totally self-taught. So I definitely made a lot of mistakes. I always tell my students that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay because you're going to learn something from those mistakes. Right. Wow. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think just being a full-time beekeeper is, <laughs> and being able to survive in San Diego, one of the most expensive places to live mm -hmm. as a beekeeper. I'm pretty proud of that. Cool. And, and what drives you? Bees. I just love them. They're so cool. Just have a love for bees. Yeah. What what is that? Tell me a little bit more about that. It's so hard to explain. It's just like the fact that we don't know everything about them. I just think it's so interesting. They're so complex that they have this whole system of organized labor. They all have these different jobs that change based on their age. So the the first jobs they do are inside the hive, like cleaning and taking care of the baby bees and making honey. And then they kind of graduate to these outside jobs like guarding the entrance and mm. forging, you know, collecting stuff from flowers. Mm -hmm. So one study that I read said that when you take away all of the young bees in the hive, the older bees, some of them will revert back to their old jobs and start doing the younger bee jobs of oh. cleaning and taking care of babies. Mm -hmm. But then what's even crazier is that they're brains actually started regenerating, like getting younger and their cognitive abilities like improved. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there's stuff like that, which is just mind blowing. Yeah. You know, they can recognize human faces. They do math. They have dance offs. The queens have like a battle to the death. So there's just all this crazy stuff that happens in there. Yeah. 
So what can you tell us about hive mind or the hive process? So the bees, they're, like I said before, they're a super organism. So even though they're these individual animals, they kind of live as one big animal. So when they make decisions, it's kind of like they're all making them together. Like Mm -hmm. they're all little neurons firing as one brain. Oh, interesting. So we still don't understand everything about their decision-making processes, but it's pretty complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I really like the book Honeybee Democracy by Thomas Seeley. Mm-hmm. And this is something I think anyone could enjoy, even if you didn't want to be a beekeeper, if you just want to learn cool stuff about bees. It's written by a researcher who he's really pioneered a lot of the, what we know about the swarming process, which is when the bees split in two and half of them leave to go make a new home somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So he figured out, you know, how they do it, why they do it, and, and like incredible details. So it's really interesting to read about that. Nice. Nice, nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say if you're interested in helping bees, you don't necessarily have to become a beekeeper to do that. Mm -hmm. The best thing for you to do at home is really to plant a pollinator garden. Mm -hmm. And planting native plants is really the best thing you can do. So if you just do a search for like native pollinator plants, you're not only going to be helping the honeybees, but you're going to be helping a lot of the native bee species, which are in a lot more trouble than the honeybees are, in my opinion, because honeybees have beekeepers who are keeping them alive and worrying over them. And the native species are facing the same problems, but nobody's taking care of them. So when bees have a lot of uh, food, they can overcome a lot of the challenges they're facing. And I think uh, if everyone went out and planted something in their gardens, it would really make a difference. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want you to, before we go, I want you to tell us about the different products that people can purchase on your website. Yeah. So for anyone who is an educator out there, I have these posters. I have an educational poster set with like these big, great images of bees and details from inside the hive. And then on the back, it has an outline of what you can talk about with like fun facts and, you know, questions for kids. So it helps you create a presentation to teach people about bees. And then it also serves as like a visual aid. And then I also have the game that I mentioned, the story of bees, where Mm -hmm. the kids learn about bees. If anyone's a beekeeper, I have hive inspection notebooks that I just made. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, so it's like a template for recording information when you're in your hives, which is really useful if you're a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. And then I just have some t-shirts and stuff. (laughs) Cool. And you have a uh, online beekeeping class. Yeah, and I have the online beekeeping class. So tell us a little bit about that, please. So that's really made, you can know nothing about bees. You could take that class and be like, I haven't, I don't even know how to tell the difference between a bee and a wasp. And you can walk out of it with everything you basically need to know to get started keeping bees. It's two hours and 20 minutes of me talking to you. Like I'm in your living room and showing you videos and pictures and explaining everything you need to know. Nice. Nice. And your website? Girlnextdoorhoney.com. And how can our listeners find you besides there? 
Uh, you can email me, which is girlnextdoorhoney at gmail.com, or you can message me on Instagram, which is girlnextdoorhoney. I have a Facebook page, also girlnextdoorhoney. Perfect. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash girlnextdoorhoney. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.